Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. To the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, it's been a whirlwind 24 to 48 hours for certainly Michigan fans, Washington fans as well, and uh, for our own John Canzano, who is making his way back from Houston and NRG Stadium. He's on the line with us right now. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn here with you on the Bald Face Truth. How you doing, John? What's uh, what's the latest for you? Well, I got to tell you, the Houston airport this morning, and people who have been flying in the last couple of days will relate to this, you know, just because of what happened with that Boeing uh, 737 MAX 9 the other day in Portland. There's just a backlog of grounded planes that are being inspected and some flight crews that are not where they should be because their flights got delayed or whatever. And so it caused a big problem kind of leaving Houston today as a lot of uh, Husky fans were delayed and uh, a lot of Michigan fans were delayed. I, um, I'm currently in San Francisco. It's not the airport I was supposed to fly through. And uh, I will... Uh, be uh, landing this evening in uh, Portland. I'm happy to be home, but uh, I had planned to be on air. My original flight was supposed to be in right around middle of the day, I have, I, and I left my hotel. It was dark. In fact, I caught an Uber. This is a really interesting story. I caught an Uber to the airport with a Michigan fan because uh, there was a shortage of Ubers, too. There's just so many fans, and got a chance to kind of talk with a Michigan fan about, you know, he grew up in Ann Arbor, and he said, you know, he thought that Michigan would not win another national championship, and Jim Harbaugh wasn't the guy even a couple years ago. And so I think for fans, uh, you know, across college football, it got me thinking about programs that stick with a coach, even if a coach has a disappointing year or, you know, doesn't have a breakthrough. Harbaugh certainly was struggling with Ohio State, but his last three years he has been lights out. Yeah, that he has. I imagine a delay in flights – was handled a little bit differently by a Washington fan than it was a Michigan fan. <laughs> what kind of attitudes uh, were you sensing across the spectrum yesterday? Well, even right now, um, you know, I can see some Washington fans in the San Francisco terminal that are, are connecting through here on their way to Seattle, and they're still sporting their gear. I think the Washington fans are still saying, hey, it's a nice season. It was a great run. With, there's nothing wrong with 14-1 and one and playing in front of everybody in a national championship game, and you know, it's like uh, Lord Alfred uh, Tennyson said, you know, is it uh, it's better to have loved and lost than never loved, right? Like, you know, is it better to have played for a national title and got beat or never got there in the first place? And I, So I think, you know, it's bittersweet because there's no Michael Penix Jr. next year, and so I think some Washington fans are probably concerned. But certainly Kalen DeBoer in his second season winning 14 games is uh, way better than the Jimmy Lake era. Yeah, I've had that feeling at the airport going home from Vegas where I lose all my money and I'm just, you know, I'm happy to get there. Then I'm sad to leave because I uh, lost all my money. So I know what they're feeling. I know what the Washington fans are feeling like. Uh, John, we were talking about this in the first segment. Yeah. In the Pac-12 title game, Oregon seemed to struggle to run the football against this Washington defense. 
And then we look at the you know, college football playoff games. Texas runs all over them. Michigan sets a record, yep. 303 yards, 8 yards a carry. What is it that Oregon's offense couldn't figure out against Washington's run defense? Because that seemed to be the key in the game of how Oregon couldn't beat them both times. Is that they just couldn't get the running game quite going, especially that Pac-12 title game. Is there something that we're not seeing in this Oregon offense that has struggles with the Washington defense? Yeah, I think the you know the Oregon offense to me didn't wasn't as physical at the point of attack as Washington was. Like it was really it was really interesting to kind of watch the line of scrimmage, and you could see it on television. But you know, I in in the stadium, especially in the press box, you have the view of all twenty two from up in the press box, right? And so you could see that those offensive linemen from Michigan in the early part of the game, there were some there were some gap assignment issues. And, you know, after the game, one of the Washington uh, offensive or defensive linemen said that they addressed that in the second and third quarter, and maybe that explains why, you know, they kind of got stingy. But uh, there was a point of the game where I was really confused. Like, why was Jim Harbaugh throwing the ball? Like, you know, they were having so much success running the football. Felt like Michigan, if they wanted to, they probably could have won that game a little more handily and, and uh, I just think they were the better team the more I look at it. Do you think that could be a problem going next year to the Big Ten with a different style of play for Oregon, that it may be a little more physical than we're expecting it to be? Yeah, I, th- I was thinking about the style of play. And even though the Pac-12 has got some teams that want to play more physical, like you know Utah this season wanted to be physical, and Oregon State and Oregon, you know, more physical, bigger players, it wasn't the physicality that we saw last night in that championship game. That that was next level. And Penn State's going to have that. Ohio State's going to have that. You know, Oregon's going to need to be prepared for that. And I think Oregon will because, you know, if there is one team in the conference that can recruit and and maybe some, recruit some bigger bodies, it's Oregon. But if I'm Washington or I am UCLA or even USC – you know, I'm kind of looking at that game last night and going, gosh, you have to make an adjustment uh, with the kinds of players you recruit. Yeah. What did you make of Michael Penix Jr.'s performance? How much of it was just getting roughed up and how much of it was, you know, him struggling in and of himself? I think uh, a lot of it had to do with the pressure he was getting. His eyes weren't where they were supposed to be. When he missed uh, Roma Dunze down the field on what would have been, you know, a big seven-point play, you know, I went back, I watched the replay, you saw it. He was on his back foot. You know, he was worried about getting hit. And, you know, by the end of the game, I think he was pretty banged up. We could all see that. Um, You know, I was behind the scenes last night, you know, when the teams went back to the locker room. Dylan uh, Johnson had his foot in a boot again after the game. Like, there's a serious injury there with his foot. And Penix looked like he could barely walk at the end of the game. And there were some questions about, you know, should Kalen DeBoer have put those guys on the field in the second half? And I think he he knows his team better than we do. But I think Penix, that pass rush got to him. They didn't protect him like they had in the past. And I don't think he liked getting hit. Dan Landing was on the ESPN set. Uh, I'm not sure if he was, uh, you know, elusive in his presence at Houston. Uh, what'd you make of all that? A lot of people, you know, uh, kind of reacting to Dan Lanning, making himself available on that national broadcast. Well, I mean, from an ESPN standpoint, he's the most qualified person in the country to talk about Washington. You know, he played him twice and, you know, before coming to Oregon, he'd been in a college football playoff championship game as the D coordinator at Georgia. So I get why ESPN wanted him there. And for Oregon, like, 
there's so much of what Oregon does is it's rooted in brand, right? Like, it's all about brand. Even the bowl game, you know, they play this bowl game against Liberty. So much is made of Bo Nix coming back, Brandon Dorless playing, Bucky Irving playing. In the end, it really just comes back to Oregon's brand, right? Oregon's guys wanted to play. Oregon's guys saw the season through. Oregon won that bowl game in convincing fashion. It's all tied to brand. So I think Dan Lanning was, you know, probably the right guest to have on. And I think, you know, he's thinking about getting some face time, getting some exposure, and getting in front of even more recruits. And I don't think that's bad for Oregon as much as, as, much as some Oregon fans are going, you know, we don't want our guy talking about Washington. We want him playing in the game. Well, the, the next best thing is, is to not have him hidden on game day. Uh, as far as Oregon State is concerned, Trent Bray still putting things together, his roster together, getting some additions. I saw Jam Griffin might be coming back from Ole Miss back yeah. to Oregon State. What do you make of you know the state of things as Trent Bray is trying to get that up and going? Well, think about what Oregon State has faced in the last since August. Really, uh, they faced chaos. It's uh, it's volatility. It's uncertainty. Everybody's anxious. And so it's really interesting to me to watch them. You know, Oregon State hires Trent Bray, known quantity, guy who went to school there. He turns around, he hires Ryan Gunderson and Keith Hayward as his offensive and defensive coordinators, two guys who know the campus. Kyle Devan, the offensive line coach, former Beaver. Um, you know, you're, you're seeing them grab some familiar faces and recruit some familiar players like Jam Griffin. They're losing guys through the portal, and so I don't blame them for going out and going, look, let's bring a guy back who knows who we are, who knows where he fits. He was a good player when he was at Oregon State. He, um, you know, you talk about the depth that Oregon State could have in the backfield next season. It's, I think it's pretty impressive, but I, I like that they're going for some familiar known quantities because they need more of that. There's so much uncertainty there. We're talking to John Canzano here on the Bold Face Truth. Uh, got a, a caller or two that want to ask you a question, John. So let's yeah. uh, let's do that. Let's do Joe let's is do in Eugene. What you got, Joe? Afternoon, John. Hey, I had a question. Didn't uh, Oregon State and Washington State just get a uh, uh, the rest of the monies that were in the coffer of the Pac-12 because everybody else was leaving? Yes. Yeah, they're getting. So it's two. There's two. There's two honeypots, so to speak. One of them has $190 million in it, and it's the NCAA tournament revenue. It's the college football playoff revenue. And, and that $190 million will be spread out over six years. It includes the Rose Bowl uh, payments from the playoffs. The playoffs has to pay the Rose Bowl $50 million a year in the next two years. Uh, Oregon State Washington State are getting that whole $190 million. There's another $65 million in another pot that is going to be paid over the next two years, and that is $6.5 million per school. The 10 departing schools are paying $6.5 million each. So, yes, Oregon State and Washington State are going to have $255 million to live off, in, and I think they're going to need it because, you know, they're going to get a little Mountain West Conference media money. It's built into their scheduling partnership with the Mountain West Conference. They'll be on Fox and CBS in those road Mountain West Conference games. But Oregon State now has seven home games it needs to sell, including the Civil War. And, it, you know, it, it's probably going to shop those around to ESPN, Fox, and some others. The Oregon game is certainly really attractive, but there's some other games that are probably not that attractive. I don't, you know, I don't know if they'll bundle them or they'll sell them a la carte. And Washington State's got six games that they need to go sell. So 
you're going to need that hundred. You're going to need that 255 million because you know Oregon and Washington are going to the Big Ten conference, and you know they're going to they're going to make 35 million next year in their media rights deal. And so Oregon State, Washington State will draw upon those two uh, those two revenue streams and and try to balance you know their budget and their expectations. Did it kind of feel like the end of an era or like the end of a of a of a part of college football's history in the building last night? And by that I mean you got widespread migration of conferences, Ducks, UCLA, USC, UW, Harbaugh's situation, a, a certain finality just feels imminent there. And this is the end of the fourteen playoff, you know, and, and next year there's the expanded playoff. Did, did it feel that way being around, you know, media types and, yeah. and other executives last night? Yeah. Yeah, and there was a lot of conversation about that. Like at halftime I was talking, you know, with Dennis Dodd of CBS and Brett McMurphy, who people have read, you know, and they were asking me a lot of questions about Oregon State and Washington State and kind of what the plan is and what the feeling is and yeah, there was a definite feel. Like, so much ended last night. Like, Washington's 21-game win streak ended. Michael Penix Jr.'s college career ended. Um, the Pac-12 played its last game as we know of the conference. You know, the conference will go on, but it, the last Pac-12 game as we know it was last night. George Klyovkov was on the field wearing Washington Husky sneakers. Like, it was just – there was a weirdness to it. And, you know, I've been sad all year, and I think a lot of people have been, because I, I don't think it should be ending. And so I've been kind of been sad about it all season long, and last night was just another, you know, like the Pac-12 championship game, it was another reminder that, hey, this thing is ending. And, and Kalen DeBoer talked about it. He said he, he thought it was sad that the Pac-12 was over, but then he was like, but we're moving on. You know, and, I, you know, I saw a lot of people on social media saying, if you were that sad, you maybe you could have done something about it. Like, maybe you could have raised your voice. But... Um, you know, there was an end to things last night, and certainly what comes out of that, though, is always a beginning. Uh, I, I left the stadium thinking about the thing you brought up. Do Oregon and Washington have to change the style of play? Will UCLA be able to compete? What's going to happen to USC? What about Cal and Stanford and the ACC? What happens to those two schools? You know, will they eventually come back to the West? How about Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado? How fast and how dominant will they be in the Big 12? And and then, of course, what happens to Oregon State and Washington State? So, you know, it was an ending last night and then a whole bunch of beginnings now today. We kind of thought this season, if it was a 12-team playoff this year, that you know maybe a team could have made a run, whether it was you know, an 18, 19, something like that. Was Michigan just the best team of the nation and we just didn't see it because of the competition that they played all season long? Or do you think – if there was a 12-team playoff, there is a, you know, a good chance that Michigan could have got knocked off by, you know, a 12 seed or something like that. Yeah, I think I think it was a wide-open year. And, you know, Michigan last night reminded me, and Duck fans may, may have had this thought watching the game, it reminded me a little bit of the 2015 game with Ohio State. You know, Ezekiel Elliott and Cardell Jones and Ohio State just kind of peaked at the end of that year. And by the end of the season, they were the best team in the country. There were times this year I watched Michigan and I wasn't that impressed. And I, you know, I've obviously picked. I thought Washington would win the game, but once you know that first quarter was going, I mean, I don't think anybody in the stadium was was picking Washington because of the way Michigan was moving the ball. So I just think it would have depended on you know the health of Michigan. You know, they obviously got a running back back that was a factor in the game last night. 
the sign thing was a big cloud that was hanging over, you know, the sign stealing was hanging over Harbaugh's head all year. And man, was he weird in the post game. Like he, he just was quirky and defensive and, you know, we're innocent. You know, are, are we going to forget about the be, sign stealing thing in like five years? I, I don't know. It depends. Like, you know, will they end up vacating the championship? But I kind of think we will in the same way that everybody forgot about Cam Newton and his eligibility issues at Auburn, you know, like the, nobody's taking away the championship from Michigan, but you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what becomes, I know you've been on that sign. You've been waving off that sign stealing thing all year. Yeah. I've been trying You're to camp Harbaugh on that one. I've been trying to get rid of it all year. It's fine. <laughs> John Hill. Harbaugh was after, did you hear him after the game? Did you hear his comments where he's like, we did, you know, we're innocent. These guys are innocent. Every, every and, piece of confetti tells a story. Like he's just being weird. He was a weirdo. <laughs> He's a strange guy. I also think it was weird. You know, they kind of – I think they planted a question in the news conference. It was a, It was the very first question, and the reporter asked, what did, What has coming, coming back to Michigan meant to you? And the two players were like, you know, this is the Michigan family. It was a big propaganda question for the players to talk about, you know, how great Michigan is. And I thought – it made me wonder if Jim Harbaugh was leaving and that maybe there's an assistant coach that's about to be promoted, maybe the defensive coordinator, and maybe they planted that question to kind of as a recruiting tool. You know, I don't know, but Harbaugh also made a comment. You know, he said he's at the big, big kids table now because he's won a national championship. And then he said, but I don't have a Super Bowl. And then he just kept talking. And I was like, he just – said he doesn't have a Super Bowl. <laughs> like it's, it, it was weird. How about the Chargers for, for Harbaugh? What, what did you think of, of that move for him and if he uh, coached up Herbie? I think it would be good for Justin Herbert because I, he would not he would not put everything on the quarterback. You know, you've seen him coach teams that had great quarterbacks like Andrew Luck. He's, he's still going to try to run the football and play defense. Um, I, I actually think that's the better job. Everybody talks about the Raiders and Harbaugh, but Harbaugh knows it's a quarterback-centric game, and Justin Herbert's a really good quarterback, and I think he would fit into a Jim Harbaugh scheme beautifully. It would be a, it would be a nice development for Herbert. How much easier can Duck fans breathe today, knowing that Washington can't lord over a national championship? I think it was a silver lining for a lot of Oregon fans last night. I think... I think I heard from more Oregon fans who were exhaling and they were a little more outspoken. And then I heard from a lot of Washington fans who were saying, there's no shame in going 14 and one. So that I'm not worried about that rivalry. Softy was running around the stadium. Um, I, I think that rivalry is going to be just fine. Hey John, um, you know, with the whole airplane thing and uh, you know, the, the airplane blowing <laughs> yeah. up and the phones falling out. Does it change your mind on where you would want to sit on an airplane? Are you if you're an aisle seat totally. guy or a window guy? Are you not a window guy anymore? Totally. No, I I was always an aisle seat guy, but I noticed on the outbound flight out of Portland, as I went to pick my seats, you know, you go you get to the airport, you're picking your seat. Um, I uh, I noticed that everybody was uh, taking the aisle seats. <laughs> Nobody was going on the window, and then I got on a Southwest flight. And everybody took the aisle seats as well. It's like nobody, nobody it's, wanted to Isn't it a little now. bit of overreaction? There's so many flights that yeah. go out every day, but now because of one oh, thing, I know. unless they're hiding it Still, from us. though, you know, we all like to look out a window, but uh, you don't want to look <laughs> that closely. Yeah, there's one flight spoiling it for everybody, Stephen. Yeah, I can't yeah. believe it. It's, yeah. like, the, it's yeah. like the little brother spoils it for everybody. 
John, I know it's been a long, uh, long day for you. No complaints, though, but we appreciate your time and safe travels back home. And we'll look forward to having you back yeah. on the air tomorrow. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I'm bummed that I wasn't, you know, able to get back in time for the show today. But uh, we'll be, uh, we got a good show for tomorrow, great show for tomorrow. Uh, hopefully, uh, the weather overnight. We got a little bit of weather to worry about overnight, yeah. I think. Potentially. What's one but, more wrinkle? Uh, you'll you know? have a great show tomorrow <laughs> and uh, that powerhouse 750 AM, 50,000 watts, you know, platform. Uh, we'll be cranking tomorrow and we'll be talking about, you know, all those things that were born out of the uh, the end of last night. And I know that you've updated your word for the year, so maybe you'll update the audience on that tomorrow. So a lot yeah. to look forward to with that. So, for sure. John, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go try to get on a plane now. Yeah. So hopefully I'll see you guys <laughs> a little bit later. See you All later, right. John. There he is, John yeah. Uh joining us from the San Francisco airport. On his way back, appreciate the time from the host and founder right here of the Bald Face Truth. Uh, when we come back, we'll take more of your calls at 503-417-7575. Plus the big splash. We'll talk a little bit more uh, Duck football with Zachary Neal, Duck Squire, USA Today in the final hour, and a whole lot of NFL. Because if you know there's one thing that gets me going, it's a little NFL football. And we got the playoffs, man. So me and Steven will be uh, talking about that as well. Junior newbie Stephen Vaughn in for John Cadano right here on the Bald Face Truth.